Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, we're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Luke, and Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. We've been seeing this. He is, we're seeing his authority. His authority is the Messiah and the Savior. He is, of course, in northern Israel. He's going from town to town, proclaiming the good news message of salvation, showing that he is the Savior and the King. He's showing his authority two ways, by his words and his works. His words, which is his message of salvation, his works, the miracles, the healing, the feeding, the raising the dead, the forgiving sins. As we continue this morning, we're going to see a number of things in this short passage. First of all, we're going to see, I think we'll get, here we go, the response to the truth of God's Word. We're going to see that about the light and the lamp. That's a parable. We're going to see the family of God. We see Jesus' mother and brothers come to see Him. And then we're going to see Jesus shows His authority over nature as they're in that ship and He calms the storm. There's so much just in these few verses. May we be challenged and may we be encouraged as we study the Word of God. Well, the question could be raised, what does it mean to be in the family of God? Are all people in the family of God? We hear people say things like, we're all the brotherhood of man. Well, we need to understand something. God is indeed the creator of all people. He is the creator. Psalm 139 says, all people were formed in their mother's womb by him. But realize that there is a difference between being created by God and being in the family of God. To be in the family of God, one must trust Jesus Christ as Savior. John 1, 12, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. All people are created by God, but only those who trust Jesus Christ are children of God and are in the family of God. See, this morning, as Jesus is teaching, his mother and brothers come to see him, and he states, he says, who are my, who is my, who are my brother, who, is my bro- who are my brothers, who is in the family of God? Well, as we study this morning, we're going to see some truths concerning the family of God and how a lot of this fits together. Well, let's begin. We're seeing some great things, some great events uh, dealing with our Savior Jesus. He's in Israel, northern part, going from town to town and village to village. He's showing his authority as the Messiah and as the Savior by his words and his works, his words, the message of salvation, his works, all the miracles and his actions that way. In this chapter, we're going to see both words and works. We'll see words, the two parables where he talks about the soil, which we saw last week, and the parable of the light or the lamp, which we'll see this week. And then there are four miracles, four works in there. We'll just begin seeing one this morning. We're going to see his authority over nature and then demons and disease and then death. And we want to gain from our study. Let me break down this passage for you. First of all, in verses 16 through 18 is the parable of the lamp or the light. We'll talk about that. 19 through 20, we'll talk, 21, we'll talk about the family, how they come. And there's 22 through 25, he is calming the storm. So there's some great things there. We want to understand Jesus Christ, his power, who he is, and what he has done. Well, as we begin, we're going to see a second parable. Let me remind you of the first parable. First parable is one of the most famous ones in the Bible. It's where the sword went out to sow. And the seed hit on the ground, and one was real hard, and the bird came along and took it away. And then one landed over, and it was, it's real rocky, and, and it, it didn't have enough moisture, and didn't have roots, and didn't really grow very well, and didn't produce. And then one fell among the thorns, and didn't produce. And then one fell in the good soil, and produced a hundredfold. And what we saw that parable was saying is, that first soil was a picture of a person who never believed. They, they never trusted in Christ. The seed never germinated. They never, any of that. But the second one, the third one, and the fourth one, all received the seed that was a germination, and there was a growth in that sense, but only but two of those three did not produce at all. 
because they let the cares of this world, the trials, the issues, the good things, the, the, the riches of this world, it, it just choked it all out. But there was one who not only believed but then produced greatly. And we saw that. And our goal, of course, is to produce, is to, to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and then grow to be like him. As we move uh, to the second parable, it really ties into the first. And let me see. This parable is called the parable of the lamp. Uh, if you go ahead back for just a second, verses 16, 17, and 18, we see that. Now, as we look at these truths and, and we see the whole idea of producing, this, this parable ties into that about the lamp. And let me give you the three parts of this. The, the, first of all, he says, don't hide the light. That's verse 16. And then he says the message is eventually going to be, ultimately going to be known, verse 17. And then he shows us the results of responding to the light. In other words, as we take the truths and as we proclaim them to others, we're going to see what happens. And what happens if we don't respond and proclaim it to others. So that's the big three there. The first part, of course, is don't hide the light. I think that's the next slide. Don't hide the light. Let's look at it. Look at verse 16. He says, now, no one, after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, the verse simply says, when you have a light, you light it and you put it up on something. You don't take a light and light it and then hide it. You put it up where people can see it, where people can know it. His picture is this. When you find out the truths about Jesus Christ, you don't hide those truths. You go make sure other people can know about it. That's the bottom line. So notice how he starts out. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. No one, after lighting the light, covers it over. We have the light. We have the truth of Jesus Christ. We have truths about his salvation, which is, I think, the key in this, but also the truths of the Christian life. And we're to make them known. We're not to hide it. We're not to cover it up. He says, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers covers it up. They don't put it under a bed. They don't do that. But what do they do? They put it on a lampstand. They put it out where the light can shine so that those who come in may see the light. We must make known the truths. We must tell people about Jesus Christ and the whole issue of salvation, the, the truths of the Christian life. But that's the bottom line. Every one of us in this room, you've got the truth. You got the truth of Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sins. He was buried. He rose again. He gives eternal life to all who believe in him. That's the message. That's the good news message. We know that message. We have that light. We're to proclaim that light, that message, that truth. We're not to hide it. We're not to put it around. And you know, sometimes we do that. We're to tell people the great truths and, uh, about Jesus Christ. And we have the greatest message ever. Have you thought about how great the message is? We get to tell people that salvation is a gift. That is not goodness. I mean, you start asking people. Ask people you come in contact with every day. Just ask them, if they were to die, do they think they'd go to heaven? Ask them that. And they're going to say yes or no, or most people are going to say, I think I will, I hope I will. Then just say, why? What's your basis that you're going to go to heaven? And see what their answers are. They're going to say things like, well, I, I pray to God and I've tried to live a good life, or I got baptized, or I go to church, or I try to do the best that I can, and... Very few people are going to look you in the face and say, because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He alone is the way to salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You have the great message. We cannot hide it. It's by grace we have been saved through faith. Not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. It is simply by faith in Christ. As he says in Acts 16:31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. People hide the light. They don't tell others. We sometimes think that uh, it'll bother other people. We don't want to bother them, you know. And we don't want to bother them with this great truth. The truth is this. People want to know. They may not believe it. They, they may reject you, and they may reject the truth of Jesus Christ. They want to know truth. 
So what should we do? Well, there's several things we should do. First of all, know the message. Know the message. Be able to go to the Scripture and say, okay, here's the message, that Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, was buried, rose again, took the sins of mankind on himself, and he offers the gift of eternal life. So know the message, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second thing is know the response. The response is to believe. I had membership training last week, and I asked them, how many of you were taught that you asked Jesus into your life every hand? That's not the right response, by the way. How many of you are taught to make Him Lord of your life? How many of you are taught to walk down an aisle and make a public profession? How many of you are taught to repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus? Hands are going up everywhere. That's not the response. You won't find it in the Bible. Know the response. It is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life. That's the response to the message. And we must know it and share it. So know the message, know the response, be ready to share. Have you a method? We call ours bad news, good news. Sometimes we call it the sin salvation. If you've ever taken the 412, we have a couple of ways in there that show you how to share your faith. One's called the bridge. There's several ways. So have you a way to share and then pray for the opportunities. Pray for the people and the opportunities. Look for in the, the sphere of influence, the people that you come in contact with all the time. Pray about it. If, you, if, you, if you've never talked to them about Christ, if you don't know whether they're a Christian or not, just say, Lord, give me an opportunity to talk to that person. It's scary. I know it's scary. This is not easy. This is a spiritual battle. This is, this is the difference between life and death for people. So it's not going to be an easy thing. You can't say, well, I think I'll start doing it once I start feeling better about it. You're never going to feel better about it. It is a spiritual battle. You're in a battle, and you've got to stand for Jesus Christ, and you've got to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you've got to be ready to tell them the truth. So don't hide the message. So the very first thing he says, look, we got a message. And after you light the lamp, you don't cover it up. So after you know the truths, you make it known. Then verse 17 says that ultimately... All people are going to know about Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. Nothing, for nothing is hidden that will not become evident, or anything secret will not be made known and come to light. In the flow of this passage, he's talking about who Jesus is and about the truths of, of salvation and all this. He says it's ultimately not going to be hidden. It's going to be known. See, one day everyone will know about Jesus Christ. What do you mean? Well, does not the Bible say every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess? See, both believers and unbelievers are all going to stand before Jesus Christ. So one day, and when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, every knee will bow to him, every tongue will confess. All of us as believers will stand before what is called the judgment seat of Christ in which we'll be rewarded for how we served and how we lived him. Unbelievers one day will stand before what is called the great white throne judgment. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. And the books of life will be open, and anyone's name who is not found written in the book of life will cast me to the lake of the fire. The unbeliever's name is not found in the book of life because they've never trusted in Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so, ultimately, nothing that is hidden will not become evident. There will not be anything secret that will not be made known or come to light. Now, that's, that's for sure, but right now we have the privilege and the responsibility of helping people understand who he is and what he's done. So don't hide the light. I mean, you could say, well, someday they'll know, but for some it's going to be too late when they know. So tell them. This is the third thing that he says in this little section. So take care of how you listen. Verse 18. 
Notice he says, So take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. It's the same principle that as you respond to the truth, as you learn more and more, God's going to use you more and more, and he's going to give you more and more. But if you don't respond to the truth, if you don't grow in your grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're going to lose your privilege and responsibility. He says this, So take care how you listen. For whoever has, you have the truth and you grow, and to him more shall be given. As we proclaim the truth, as we know more and more, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, he gives us more and more information, more and more truths, and more and more responsibilities and opportunities. But if you do not respond, notice what he says, but to those who don't have, you're not growing, you're not doing, what he, what he even thinks he has will be taken away from him. The bottom line is this. As a believer, as you grow, as you respond to the truths of God's Word, as you say to Him, Lord, I want you to take my life and use me, help me to know it, help me to tell other people, the more you know, the more you're going to know, and the more you're going to grow, and the more God's going to use you. But there are a bunch of believers, many believers, who know Christ as Savior, but do not respond, do not keep growing. They're like the second and the third souls who just let everything else just, just choke it out and their responsibility will be taken away from them. They won't get to, to do that. And when they stand before say, our Savior, we want to hear Him say, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. They're not going to hear that. You realize, and people have this idea that when we get to heaven, as they call it, everybody's going to be the same. It's just going to be one big happy family. Will not be the same. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior has eternal life and will spend eternity with Christ. But when we stand before Him, there are going to be those who are ashamed that is coming. There are going to be those who hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. There are going to be those who have positions of responsibility and will serve with Him in the kingdom and on in the eternal state. There will be those who will be embarrassed, who will have different positions, will not be in what they call, as the book of Hebrews says, the metakoi, closeness to Him. And, and this bottom line. So how you live now as a believer and how you serve Him is going to have eternal results has nothing to do with whether you're saved or not, because that's a gift. But your service is going to have a bearing. And so he says, so take care how you listen. He said it earlier in a different way. He said, he who has ears, let him hear. What he's saying is, now, if you're listening, listen carefully. That's why he said, I speak to them in parables. He said, when I give you a parable, I explain it. He's talking to the ones who are listening. That's why the, the, the believers went up and said, explain the parable. We want to get this. But to the unbelievers, they go, I don't know what he's talking about. For us who are believers, we grow and, and we don't know it. For those of us who are believers but are not growing, we're not going to grow until we respond. One day, everyone will give an account. Let's make known the truths of our Savior. As we grow, God will continue to teach us more and more. Well, from this... It moves to this issue of the family, the family of God. I talked about it earlier, but how does a person get in the family of God? It's by faith. I want you to see this. This is Luke uh, 19 through 21 when he talks about the family. How is one a member of God's family? Look at verse 19. And his mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. Now, it doesn't tell us, as we continue in the Gospel of Luke, he doesn't give us a whole lot of information. One of the other Gospels tells us that he seems to be in a house somewhere. He's somewhere, and there's just people everywhere, and his mother and brothers come up, and the crowd is so big... They can't even get in to see him. We're going to see that they send word, and they said, would you, would you send somebody up in there to tell him that his mother and his four brothers are outside? We would like to see him. It's a huge crowd. And so it says, and his mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. Now, he's teaching. People are everywhere, and they come. Now, you might say, his brothers? 
Mark chapter 6, verse 3 is a great place to go because it talks about his, his father and his mother. It talks about him and it talks about his four brothers. Their names were Joseph, James, Judas, and Simon. That's his four brothers. And then he had sisters. It doesn't give their names. It just says sisters. So we know that at least had two sisters, maybe more, because it says sisters. That was the family. And I want you to understand something. If you read carefully the Gospels, these four brothers did not believe in him as Savior until after his resurrection, until after he died and rose again. There's sometimes we'll see it as we go through the Gospels that they they don't really make fun of him, but one time they hear him teaching about that he's the Messiah, and they go up to him and say, you know, if you're really the Messiah, what you need to do is go public with this thing. You need to go up. There's a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles was coming, and they kind of kidded him, and they said, you need to go to the Feast of Tabernacles and make a public uh, statement of who you are. And, and they didn't believe in him. But then after his death and resurrection, they came to believe in him. And you know two of their names well. One is James in the book of James. And, and James was the pastor of the, of the first main pastor of the church of Jerusalem. So that's his, we'd say his half-brother. And then the other brother, his name is not listed as Judas in our Bible. It's listed as Jude. And he's the one that the book of Jude was written. And so that's two of his four brothers that we have books in the Bible from them after they had believed in him. They're coming, but they can't get to see him. So verse 20, it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. They came and said that, your mother and your brothers. They want to see him. Now, some people, if you, if you remember back in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, and we don't know if it's the same event or not. It, it may not be. But at one time they came up and they wanted to take him home because the idea was we think, we think he's kind of gone off a little bit. We think he's gone off a little bit. We're going to get him and take him home and maybe we can get him well. That's what they were thinking. That was in Mark. Now, we don't know if that's in this same passage. We, we probably don't think they're the exact same passage. But a couple of times they're coming after Jesus to, to take him home. You know, that's the plan. And so they were wishing to see him. And look at verse 21, his answer. But he answered and said to them, My mother and brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. What he wants to show immediately is being in the family of God is not a physical aspect like I'm related to you physically. To be in God's family comes by faith. He says, my mother and my brothers, who is in my family? Those who hear the word of God and do it. What does he mean hear and do? Because he's really saying to hear means to believe. Let me show you this. In fact, to hear the word of God, when he says who hear the word of God and do it, what does it mean to hear? I think the next slide says, hear the word of God is to hear the message of the way of salvation. He says, people in the family of God are those, first of all, who's heard the truth. They've heard the message of Jesus Christ, how he is the Savior and the Messiah. And then to do it, as he goes on to say, to do it is the response to the word, to believe. There's one place they come up to him and they say, what are the works we must do? They said it that way. So he said, okay, here's the work. Believe. That's the key. And these verses, Acts 16, 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes. Galatians 3, 26, We're all children of God by faith. John 1, 12, As many as received Him, to Him gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe on His name. So when he says, hear the word and do it, he doesn't mean do good works like you hear the Bible and you live out good works. He's saying you hear the truth and you do it. You respond to what he says. And the response is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the plan. Believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. So to be in God's family, you hear the message and you believe. So don't get confused. It's not talking about doing good works. It's talking about faith. So here's a question. Are you in God's family? 
How? It's by faith. You hear, it, hear the message. You hear how Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, offers eternal life. You respond by faith. You believe in Him. You trust in Christ as your Savior. So to receive Him as Savior, uh, you become a child of God. We have seen, don't hide the light. Make it known. We've seen that all who believe become children of God. I want you to see one other thing, and we'll go through it fairly quickly. And that's verses 22 through 25 where he calms the storm. And what we see once again is his power, his authority over nature. And we're going to see there's a lot of things we're going to see as his authority over nature. Then we're going to see next week one of the famous passages where that man is, got, is demon-possessed. There's all kind, a legion of demons inside this man. We're going to see his authority over that. And we're going to see his authority to heal disease. And we're going to see his authority to raise the dead. We'll see it all by the time we get to the end of Luke chapter 8. So there's some great things there. Let's see his authority over the, the, the nature. And he calms the storm. It's very powerful. You realize that he spoke and brought all creation into being. And now he speaks and controls it all. Watch what happens. Verse 22. Now on one of these days, or one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. Now one of those days, he just says, in about the same general time period, after Jesus is going from village to village, and, and city to city, and town to town, and he's giving out the truths, he said about that time, Jesus said to his men, let's get in the boat, and let's go to the other side of the lake. Well, that's the, the lake is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is five miles wide and 13 miles long. It's famous. Uh, most likely they were leaving Capernaum and they would go to the other side. The Sea of Galilee is unique because it's 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by mountains. It's almost like wind tunnels. Sometimes storms will come up and they'll sweep between the mountains and go right across that water. And uh, it just all kind of storms. Now, you remember that the people getting in the boat with Jesus, a number of them for a living were fishermen. They've been in boats all their lives. They've been on the Sea of Galilee all their lives. They know about storms. They know about everything. So they've been with Jesus. Uh, and, I mean, they, they, they're with Jesus now, but they have been on that, that sea all of their lives. Watch what happens. He said, let's go. And so they launched out. But while they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Now, as they were going to the other side, Jesus fell asleep. Now, one of the things I think Luke shows us, since he shows Jesus as the perfect man, is that he shows Jesus getting tired. He shows Jesus going to sleep. You see him as a human. See, he's the God-man. They call that the hypostatic union, the union of deity and humanity. 100% God, 100% man. So in the boat, going across, Jesus says... I think I'm going to rest for a little bit. And he fell asleep. Many would say he probably went toward the back of the boat. They had leather-type you know, pillows, things, and he was laying on this. And then it says, this fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. The idea is that something just swept through. This, this wind came through there, and, and it was a very powerful storm. And notice it says, and they begin to be swamped. The way it's written in the Greek is, is suddenly the boat is beginning to, waters begin to come in the boat, and it's going to get higher, it's getting higher and higher, and the boat's beginning to sink down a little bit, and they're realizing, wait a minute, if this storm keeps up, we're all going under. And it says they were to be, they were in danger. Now, these guys, no telling how many storms in their lives they've been on on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, you could almost see them at the, when the storm first started. They went, oh, yeah, it's another storm. We've been through many of them. But this is not an ordinary storm. 
It is beyond anything they've ever experienced. Because look what happened. The the ship is about to go under, and what do they do? And, and, And by the way, how do you handle the storms of life? I mean, you know, we go through life, and we've had some things. You say, that's okay. And then something happens that is bigger than you've ever had to deal with. How do you deal with that? How do we deal with the unexpected things that just almost seem like they just suddenly come into your life? We see the storm, and you know what we often forget? We forget he's in the boat with us. We forget he's the one that said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's go out about the middle and drown. He said, let's go to the other side. And sometimes the trials and the storms of life come in, and we think we're going down. We say, we're going down. Does he not care what's going on? Where is he? He's right there with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? So what do they do? They came to Jesus and they woke him up and they they were saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. Now they came and they woke him up and they used the term, this is the only place, Luke is the only one that uses the term, the word there, Master, Master. It means someone of high position. That's what they call him. They're calling him high position. Master, Master, we are perishing. The idea is, we think we're dying. This is all over for us. What are you going to do about this? So what does he do? It says he got up. Literally, the Greek was the idea is he was waking up. He woke up. He rebuked the wind and the surging waves. Same word that he rebuked disease. And same word to, rebu- to use when he rebuked the demons. And we're going to see it. And what does he do? He rebuked it. Rebuked the the wind and the waves, and they stopped, just like that. And it became calm, just like that. See, he controls everything. If he wanted to rain right this second, he could make it rain right this second. It doesn't matter whether there are clouds out there right now or not. It can be a cloud there in that second and rain pour everywhere. He controls it all. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. He is the Creator. And He turns to His creation and says, Stop. And stopped. Now, there's two things we're going to see. His response to them and their response to Him. First of all, His response to them. Look what He says to them. And He said to them, where is your faith? He says, where's your faith? Why aren't you trusting me? What's the deal? We've been together. You've seen me do a lot of things. I said, let's go to the other side. Don't you think when I say, let's go to the other side, we're going to make it to the other side? You're not trusting me. I'm in the ship. In the storms of life, sometimes we just go, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to make it. And you could hear him say, Where is your faith? What's the deal? Did I ever tell you I would leave you? No. I said I will never leave you or forsake you. He is our strength. He is our shield. How do we respond in the storms of life? We have to trust Him. So His response to them is, Where's your faith? Why aren't you trusting me? Has He ever, has He ever let us down in anything? We'd say, Well, well, no. Actually, no. 
In fact, he always does better than we thought. I mean, you know, you look back at it, it's beyond we could imagine anyway. And he always works this. And even when I pray for something and I don't get it, I look back later and it's even better than if I'd have got it. And so he's always with me. He's always working everything. Why don't we trust him when the trials come? And they will. He said that in this life you will have tribulation. You will. We're going to have to trust him. So he said to them, where is your faith? Of course, their response to him was amazing because look what it says. They were fearful and amazed. That word amazed means they wondered. It was like, a, like a, they marveled. And, and, and they, they saying to one another, who then is this? Who then is this that he commands even the wind and the water and they obey him? See, they know who he is as the Savior, but they continue to learn more and more. Psalm 65, 7 says, God steals the roaring of the seas. Who is he that even the wind and the water obey him? He's God. That's who he is. He's the Savior. That's who he is. They were continuing to grow in their knowledge of him. And that's the truth for us. We, we trust in Jesus, and as we go through life, and as we study the word, and as we know him, as Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, as we continue to know him, we're going to say, wow, I'm seeing more and more things that I never even realized. This is something they hadn't even realized. And they said, who, who is he? Even All he has to do is speak. And the waves stop and the wind stops. As we continue to grow more and more, we'll see his character more and more. And you know what? We're going to be amazed. Our God is an awesome God. Beyond what you can imagine. May we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Well, Jesus is all authority over nature, and the more we know Him, the more we're going to be amazed. So what have we seen this morning? Well, He tells them, don't hide the light, but proclaim the truth, the salvation, the truths about Christian life. He says, don't hide it. He then says that anybody who hears the Word and does it, hears the Word and believes in Jesus, they're in the family of God. That's His mother and brothers. And then He shows His authority as He comes the storm, His authority over nature. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let's proclaim the good news message. Let's simply put, let's proclaim it. We're to give out the light. Let's don't hide the light. We don't take the truths of Jesus Christ and hide them. We make them known by our words and deeds. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. Words and deeds. How we live and what we say, we want to be faithful to proclaim it. I think there are, uh, I think three things. Know the message. Know a method, you know, know the message and, and, and the response to it. He's died and rose again, whoever believes in him has eternal life. Have a method to share, good news, bad news, to send salvation, whatever method you have, and make sure it's clear. And then pray for others and opportunities. Go home, sit down, make a list of people you come in contact with all the time, people you work with, your neighbors. Write down their names and say, I, I've never known whether these people know Christ or not. And begin to pray that God will give you the opportunity. Now, if you do that, be ready, because you're going to have the opportunities. He doesn't play around. When you say, oh, Lord, let me talk to my neighbor. Before you know it, the neighbor's standing right there. And you go, boy, he took that seriously. Yeah, he does. He does. He does. Second, we come into God's family by faith. All who receive him become children of God. You want to be a part of God's family? Trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. He died for you. He paid for sins. He rose again, and he gives you eternal life as a gift. And whoever believes in him, you're part of the family of God. Third, trust Him 
in the trials of life. I mean, let's face it, he's in control. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. He's in the boat, never going to get out. He never leaves us or forsake us. And the more we know him, the more we're going to be amazed at him as we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. So how do we respond in the trials of life? How are we doing? We have to trust him. What would Jesus say to us? Would he look at us and go, where's your faith? I'm always with you. You know that. May we trust Him. May we as God's children by faith proclaim the good news message of Jesus Christ as we trust Him in the storms of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, we just want to proclaim the message of salvation. May we do it. May we know the message and and how to respond and, 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 and what the response is. May we have a method so we can share our faith. And may we pray for others and the opportunities to talk to them about our Savior Jesus. Lord, we know that anyone who believes in Jesus becomes a child of God simply by faith in the family of God. And Lord, we know that as we go through life, there are going to be trials. There are going to be ups and downs. May we trust you in the midst of the storms because you never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? Thank you, Lord, for these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.